right. It's good to see everyone tonight. Turn, if you would, to the book of Genesis. To the book of Genesis, and we will get started. go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, as was already mentioned, uh, for the health and the freedom to be able to be in your house tonight. I pray that you'd use it tonight to speak to our hearts and to be a blessing uh, to those of us who are here. Lord, I pray for those who are not able to be here tonight for whatever reason, that you'd restore them, that you'd bring them back, and God, that uh, you'd minister to them uh, should they be in a, a place of need right now. pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I did some thinking. I don't always recommend that, but I did some thinking this week and I've uh, been here, as you all know, 14 and a half years. And if you do the math, a Sunday school lesson, two Sunday morning messages, or two Sunday messages, and then a Wednesday evening message for 14 and a half years, that comes to just a little over 3,000 lessons or sermons that I've presented here. Now I know that I've had some Sundays off and of course there have been times that missionaries have come through so I'm probably somewhere around that 2800 mark, 2900 mark, but uh, that's still a whole lot of talking if you think about it. And as I was looking for you know what I was supposed to preach, what I was supposed to uh, present tonight, I started flipping through the scripture and I realized, you know, I've preached more of the Old Testament than I realized. I've preached a whole lot more of the New Testament than what I had really thought about or considered. And so I had this fear come across me. I have got to be sounding repetitive at this point. You know, I mean, you, you stand before anybody 28, 2900 times. At some point, you're going to be saying some of the same things you have said. And uh, there are going to be some people saying, oh, yeah, I know this story. I like this one. Or I don't care for this story. Uh, whatever it may be. But uh, I, I was worried about that. And then it dawned on me. You know, most of these people haven't heard half of the 2,800 messages I've preached. And then I was really encouraged knowing that you forget things as badly as I do. And so I thought, man, this is fantastic. It's like we're starting all over, and I had no more worries or no more fears or any more concerns after that. And I don't know what made me think about the number of messages I preached uh, since being here. And so uh, anyway, tonight we're going to start what I would call a new series, but it's not at all a new series, and it's not a new story that you've never heard before. This evening we are going to start a study on the life of Joseph. And I know that many of us are familiar with the life of Joseph, and so we're going to begin tonight in Genesis chapter 37. But uh, whenever we did the study of the life of David, I really benefited from that in a lot of ways. And I personally like character studies. I like to consider the different uh, personalities of the Scripture. I think there is a lot to learn from their testimonies and from their example. And so tonight we're going to begin what I would call a new series on the life of Joseph but uh, we've certainly gone through these portions of Scripture before in the past, but I know that it's worthwhile to revisit it, all right? And I want us to think about something as we get into this study. It's a study that's going to take us several weeks. It's going to take us several months to get through this. 
because it's amazing if you think about how much time has lapsed in the earth up to chapter 37. And then when you get to 37, it's almost as though somebody hits the slow button and you just begin to deal with so much of really a relatively small amount of time uh, in the life of humanity. And so this is going to take a while for us to get through. I'm sure that whenever school starts next year, we'll still be dealing with the life of Joseph. But there is something about Joseph that I want us to consider this evening. You probably are aware of this, maybe just haven't thought about it. But Joseph is one of the few characters in the scripture that you could say this of. That from the beginning of his story to the end of his story, you never see any major failures recorded in his life. Now, again, you probably know that. Maybe you just hadn't thought about it. But now hearing that, you'd say, well, yeah, I guess that's true. You don't really hear of any major failures recorded of his life. You don't really read of anything. I want us to think about that for just a moment. That, that is such an important truth. That is such an important statement. That from the, from the moment we begin reading of the life of Joseph and everything that he dealt with and everything that he encountered, not one story of a major failure, of a major indiscrepancy taking place in his life. Now, I say that tonight for this reason. If Joseph's life teaches us nothing else but this, this is invaluable. And that is this. You can go through life without major mistakes. And you can go through life without major failures in life. I, I say that for this reason. We've got several children here tonight, and I'm thankful for that, aren't you? And I am weary of the adults who believe that children have to rebel and who have to mess their lives up at some point before returning back to the Lord. That is absolutely not something that is required just because we're alive and just because we're breathing. So every child in here, every young person in here, every person who has quote-unquote not yet messed up, it's not as though they're doomed to mess up one day. They don't have to. They can do right and they can choose to do what God would have them to do. They can choose to live in obedience to the Word of God. And I know that some of us would sit here this evening and say, hey, I understand that. I get that for the young people. I understand that they might be spared from some of the mistakes that I made, but I am one of those persons who has some major failures and some major mistakes in my life. All right, well, here's what I want us to think about. We can't do one thing about the past. We can't do anything about what happened yesterday or, or any time before this moment. But I want us to understand this. From this point forward, we don't have to have major mistakes in our lives. We don't have to have major failures in our lives. We can live from this day forward serving God the way we're supposed to serve Him. We do not have to be casualties in the spiritual battleground of life. Do we understand this? We do not have to be casualties in the spiritual battlefield of life. You and I can do what is right. You and I can do what is pleasing in the eyes of God. So this is not just for children. This is not just for our teenagers. This is not just for young adults. It is for every one of us, regardless of what our past may look like, from this time forward, from this moment forward, we can do it if we want. We can do it 
if we want. But we got to want. We have to want it in order to achieve it. Now, that's kind of a summary of what I brought away from the study so far of the life of Joseph. And this evening we're going to look at something that I think is, again, very important as we jump into this new study, this new series. But I want us to think about something real quick. I know you're not overly interested in this. But a little over a month ago, we were advised by the pool people in Amarillo, this is the time to open your pool. Okay? First time ever, we left our pool up all winter, and so we didn't know what the water was going to look like. We didn't know what it was going to, to, to be like. And so we finally pulled the tarp off. We finally pulled the cover off. And we saw this horrible, nasty-looking water looking back at us. And uh, Susie began doing what she was instructed to do. She began putting the chemicals in there, running the filter. And pretty soon, it was looking just like you'd want to pull to look. It's looking nice. And we vacuumed out the bottom of the pool. And, and, I mean, this thing was looking good. There was only one problem. It was still getting pretty cold at night. So you understand... Uh, at least for me, if the water's cold, I'm not getting in. So that was a little over a month ago, and the water's pretty cold, and we've got this solar panel cover on it to where it's supposed to help warm the water up. And, and so for the last five weeks, whatever it's been, maybe six weeks that the pool has been officially open, uh, we've not gotten in it one time because it's cold. And one of the kids asked on Monday night, do you think we could get in the pool? No. I mean, yeah, no, 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 you're not getting in the pool. Now, there's a reason why we haven't gotten in the pool. I know you're dying to know, so let me share it with you real quick. There's a reason why we haven't gotten in the pool, and that's because the nights are still cool. And the days haven't exactly been hot here recently. And we've had a whole lot of rain that we're not used to this time of year. And so here are the kids, and there are at least two of them wanting to get in the pool and take advantage of what is supposed to be open and supposed to be available to them. But we're telling them no, and we're telling them no, not because we're just being rude or or mean parents and trying to deprive them of this, but we're telling them no because certain circumstances beyond our control are keeping the pool from being ready. You understand this? Certain circumstances beyond our control. I I can't help this, kids. It's not my fault that the rain's been coming. It's not my fault that it hasn't been warming up the way that it normally would. That is not my fault. That is beyond my control. And I can do nothing about that. So here's what we have to do. We just have to roll with what we've been dealt. Just make the best of it. And when we can, we can. And when we will, we will. And when you do, you do. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because I want us to think about this principle. That all through life, people are going to be dealt with circumstances that are beyond their control. Things are going to happen that you and I cannot control. 
I'm going to talk about this more in just a moment, but, but I mean, things are going to happen in our lives that we had absolutely nothing to do with that. We couldn't have made that happen if we had tried to make it happen. We couldn't have done that if we had tried to do that. These are just things that happen that really have absolutely nothing to do with anything we have done. It is just the circumstances and the situations we are now in because certain things, again, beyond our control, and now we have to deal with it accordingly. And for you and I to have things happen in our lives that are beyond our control, we've got to remember tonight that's not something that's new to us. This has been going on since the beginning of mankind. Since man was created and since man began to populate the earth and since sin entered into the world, we've got to remember that there have always been things happening in the lives of individuals that they could truly, honestly, sincerely say, that was beyond my control. I, I had nothing to do with that. I, I couldn't have done what I did. That wasn't me. That's just how the Lord allowed it to happen. So understand, please, Joseph was no different than you and I. He had things happen in his life that were beyond his control. Now, what are some of the examples, real quick, of some things that happened in his life that were beyond his control? Well, first of all, let's consider who his parents were. He is the product of the relationship of his father, Jacob, and his mother, Rachel. You understand this? Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel. Now, if you think about that, I, I want us to, to, to contemplate this and, and to really dwell on this for just a moment. Jacob had no say and no control over who his parents were. Now, I know we've dealt with this a few months ago, so don't think, well, here we go down that trail, and he's already repeating himself. I just want us to think about this. Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph, rather, had nothing to do with the selection process of who his parents were. The Lord did not interview Joseph before sending him to this earth saying, what kind of parents would you like? What kind of home would you like to be born into? Would you like to be born into this kind of a home, this kind of a home, or this kind of a home? No, we understand that that's not at all how it works. And so Joseph was just like you and I. He was born into the home that he was born into, and that was absolutely beyond his control. Not only was the set of parents that he was given beyond his control, I want us to think about this. The timing in which he was born was beyond his control. What do we mean? Well, if you notice in the middle part of verse number 3, it says this, that Joseph, he was the son of his, that being Jacob, his old age. Joseph was the son of Jacob, and Jacob happened to be an old man when Joseph was born. Now, again, if we know the story, if we were to go back and to read the account of, of Jacob and his wives and then his handmaids, here's what we would remember and here's what we would be reminded of is that Joseph is the 11th boy out of 12 children. Okay? There are 10 older brothers. There is one older sister. And then later, Joseph will have another baby brother by the name of Benjamin. Now, I want us to see this, okay? It was not the fault of Joseph that he was born when he was born to whom he was born, that being Jacob and Rachel. 
So here is Joseph, and he enters into the world. He has Jacob as a father. He has Rachel as a mother. And, of course, Joseph isn't going to begin to recognize or to understand the age of his parents. But here is what he will soon learn as he begins to grow and he begins to develop and understand things. He will soon realize, you know what? My parents had me later in life. And just as Joseph could not determine who his parents were or when he was born, he could not either determine the character or the behavior of his parents, more importantly, his father. Think about this. As you were growing up, how much influence did you have on the behavior and character of your parents? I had no influence, from what I can tell, on the behavior or the character of my parents. Now, why do I say that? Well, I want us to notice in verse number 3 what else it says of Joseph and his relationship with Jacob. It says, now Israel, that being Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Now think about this. The scripture records for us that Jacob or Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Think about it for just a moment. That's not exactly a good commentary or a good statement to be made about Jacob and his relationship with his children. It is not good when it is evident to everyone that this is the favorite of this particular father or this particular mother. And so here is Joseph, and he's growing up in a home that he had nothing to say by way of his selection or by way of his choice. He is growing up in a home where it is not his say or his voice that allowed him to be born, the 11th son of what would be 12 sons. It is not his place in life to determine the behavior or the character of his parents. And he now has a father who has made it clear to everyone, this is my favorite child. That's a rough position to be in when you've got ten older brothers. That's a rough position for me to be in with just one older brother. Because my brother was convinced I was the favorite. And I thought, I, I thought he was right. You know, I, I am the favorite. Why am I the favorite? Because I'm the baby. It's not an ideal position to be in sometimes. But again, here is Joseph, and, and he is in this position of being the favorite, of being the, the one who is more loved by the, the father. And everyone knows it, and no doubt the other brothers knew it. Well, that's not Joseph's fault. Joseph had no control over the reaction of his brothers toward him based on their father's love for him and his lesser degree of love for them. Think about that. There was nothing that Joseph could do to change his brother's opinion of him based upon their father's relationship with him. Joseph could not say, hey, listen, it's not as bad as you think, because it was as bad as they thought. Joseph could not say, oh, listen, you've just dreamed that up, because it was obvious they had not just dreamed it up. And so notice what it says in verse number, four, uh, verse number 5. I'm sorry, verse number 4. Notice what it says in verse number 4. 
It says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. I'm sorry, I read that twice. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, (laughs) My apologies. When they saw that the father loved him more than than all the brethren, they hated him. Okay. The brothers were older, correct? Wouldn't it have been nice if maturity had kicked in? And said, you know what? This isn't Joseph's fault. The brothers could have said something like that, correct? They could have said something like this. This isn't Joseph's fault. This is the fault of dad. This is a character flaw of dad. This, this is something that dad is struggling with. And this is something that dad needs to address. This is not Joseph's fault, but that is not what they did. The scripture says they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You know what that means? It means this. They never had a kind word to say to Joseph. How would you like to grow up in a house with ten older brothers who hated you and had nothing kind to say to you? Now here are four things that I want us to think about that are completely out of the control of Joseph. He has no control over who his parents are. He has no control as to when he entered this earth and the birth order that he was given. He had no control over the fact that he was the 11th of 12 sons. He had no control over the fact that his dad's character and behavior was not what it should be. And he had no control over his brother's response to the favor he received from his father. Those are significant things taking place in his life that he has no control over. Now notice what it says in verse number 2. It says, These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being what? 17 years old. I understand that back in their day, kids probably grew up faster than they do in our day, but I want to remind us that 17 is still, in the eyes of a parent, a kid. Nathan being 17 years old, yes, I understand he is growing up. Yes, I understand he is maturing. Yes, I understand that he's not the little boy that he was a few years ago. But in my mind and in my eyes, guess what he still is? He's still a kid. So here is Joseph, and he is only 17 years old. And it says that he was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah. He is with his half-brothers who are the sons of Jacob and his handmaids. All right. He is with a portion of his brothers who hate him. That's who he gets to spend his time with. That's who he gets to work with. That's who he gets to hang out with. This is who he gets to feed the flock with at this point, okay? So he is with his brethren, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, and it says his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. What does it mean when it says that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report? It means this, that as he came back from the flock where he was at and working with his brethren, as he came back, he could not give his father a positive report on the behavior or the actions of the sons who were out there 
watching the flock. Now, we don't know what the evil report consisted of. We don't know what the actions were. We don't know what the offenses would have been. But I want us to think about this for just a moment. Here is Joseph, and he is a teenage young man. He is a young man who is in an awkward position because of what his father has done. And I want us to think about this. He has obviously been commissioned with the task or the duty to bring back a report of the behavior and the actions of his brethren. Here's Joseph. What what could he have done if he was like many 17-year-old young men? Well, in an effort to try to be accepted by his brothers, he could have engaged in the same evil action that they engaged in. I mean, dad's not here. Dad's not around, and Dad is entrusting me to give the report of what's going on out there. I can go out there, and I can do the exact same thing that the brothers are doing, and, and, and as a result of Dad not being there, I can do what I want, but then come back here and tell him whatever I want to tell him, and Dad won't be any wiser for it, and Dad won't know any better because Dad's trusted me, the one that he loves the most, because I'm his favorite. See, Joseph was presented right there an opportunity to do what he wanted to do and not concern himself with that which was right. At the same time, think about this situation that he was in and what else he could have done. I find this a little bit interesting. Joseph, in an effort to maybe save his own hide, could have known that his brothers were wrong, he not engaged in it, but whenever he came back to the house, not be willing to snitch on them because he knew if I snitch on them, there will be grief to catch whenever they get in trouble themselves for what I have to tell Dad they've done. How many of us tonight would admit something like this? There were times maybe with an older brother or an older sister that uh, we kind of kept things from Dad and Mom in an effort to make ourselves more appealing to the older sibling. It may not have ever happened with you, but trust me, I know that it's happened at times, okay? So Joseph could have been presented with the same opportunity, that same desire to find some favor with his brothers, but he comes back and it says in verse number 2, he gave the father their evil report. Now think about this. Here's a 17-year-old young man. He has no control over his parents. He has no control over his birth order. He has no control over the, the, the behavior of his parents. He has no control over his brothers and their feelings toward him. Joseph has no control over any of this, and he is now sent out to help watch some sheep with some brothers who hate him. And whenever he comes back, he has to give a report of what it's like. And something within Joseph said this, I will do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to engage in what the brothers have done. I'm not going to be a participant of that. And whenever I get back home, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to mislead. I'm not going to do anything of the nature. Whenever I get back home, Dad's going to say, so what's it like? What are the boys doing? What's taking place out there? And I am going to tell Dad exactly what has happened because that is what is right. Now tonight, I want us to think about this. 
Here's a 17-year-old young man dealt with many circumstances or dealt many circumstances that he had no control over. And in the very beginning stages of his life, Joseph was determined, I'm going to do what's right. Now think about this. You and I, I said a moment ago, you and I, over the course of our lives, we are dealt with circumstances and we are dealt situations that are beyond our control, things that are not necessarily always favorable to us. Would you agree? You say, well, I don't know what's been given to me that's beyond my control. Well, we could deal with the family aspect of it, could we not? I mean, every one of us are in the family that we're a part of because that's what God designed and designated for us, and we had no say in the matter. We really had no say in the matter as to when we were born. We've talked about this before. We had no say in the matter of the behavior and the character of our parents. We had no say in the matter of our siblings and what they would be like and what they would treat us like. We, we had no say in the matter as to what our childhood and our early years of life would look like. But let's think about this for just a moment and go a little bit broader and a little bit more beyond the, the home life that we had when we were a child. And let's think about this. Sometimes in life, even as adults, far past our years at home, God still allows things to take place in our lives that we cannot change, that we cannot determine, that we cannot dictate. This is out of our hands. What does God allow to sometimes enter into our lives that we have no control over? Well, I trust you would agree with this. I hope that you would. But I would say for myself and at least for some others that sometimes God allows people to come into our lives that we would not have naturally selected. I know this isn't the most godly statement to say out loud. I know this isn't the most spiritually sounding set of words that I'm about to say, but... How many of us tonight would say something like this? God, for whatever reason, has allowed certain people to come into our lives that if I had never crossed paths with them or if I had never met them, I could have lived life just fine. I didn't necessarily need them for my level of pleasure or for my level of enjoyment. Now, it sounds terrible, but trust me, there are some people who would think of me and say the same thing about me. You know, I never had to meet Kyle in order to be happy. I never had to know him in order to know joy. So I understand that the feelings would be reciprocated by others. But I want us to think about this. God allows certain people to come into our lives that we would not have necessarily chosen to be a part of our lives, but God thought, and since God is God, knew we needed certain people in our lives. So you may look at a particular co-worker and think something like this, I don't need them in my life to be happy. Oddly enough, God didn't care. God allowed that person to come from wherever they came from, and God allowed you to come from wherever you came from, and somehow you ended up in Pampa, Texas, working beside each other, getting to spend a lot of time together, sometimes getting to spend more time with them than you get to spend with your own family. And in the back of your mind, you may be saying something like this, I didn't need them in my life to be happy, but the Lord's saying, here they are. It's kind of out of your control, but it is what it is. Sometimes people enter into our lives that we didn't necessarily need in order for us to be happy through 
through community relationships, and we didn't know that we were going to meet them. We didn't know that we were going to stumble across them. We never dreamed that us passing them one day was going to lead to this, but that's exactly what happened. And, and from a human standpoint, that was not something we dictated or something we determined, but it is what it is. And sometimes some of the people that God allows to come into our lives, they're not always the best kind of people by way of character, by way of integrity, by way of morality, by way of lifestyle, by way of standards, whatever it may be. A lot of times God allows people to come into our lives that will test us, that will try us, that will try to tempt us, that will try to influence us. And that can happen from many, many different angles and many, many different ways. But you know what we as adults have to determine in our heart and mind? No matter the struggle, no matter the angle at which they're getting to me, I am going to do what's right. I have no control over this situation. I didn't hire them. I can't fire them. I didn't mean to meet them. I didn't mean for them to be a part of my life. But through our kids or whatever it may be, they're now a part of our lives. It could even be because of the relationship at church. There are people in your life now that might not be the best influence on your life, but there still has to come this moment in our lives where we say, you know what, they are in our lives. They are here for a reason. And it doesn't matter what the temptation or the struggle or the difficulty or the challenge may be, I will do right because it is the right thing to do. So I'm going to be friendly with that person, not because that's what my nature says to do, but because it's the right thing to do. I can do what is right. When that person tries to tempt me, when that person tries to take me away, when that person tells me that joke in hopes that I'll laugh at it, even though I know it's crude or vulgar or inappropriate, whatever the situation is, though that may be what they're trying to get me to do, I will do what's right regardless. I can do what is right. And you can do what is right. And, and, and I'll say more about this in just a couple of moments, but I grow weary of people who use their circumstances and their situations as an excuse for their disobedience to what they know to be the right thing to do. Well, you know, I didn't want to do it, but they just kept pressuring me. Well, I didn't want to say it, but they just kept saying things, and they just kept, you know, they, they kept prodding me, and they just kept pushing my buttons till I, until I had to respond. No, we didn't have to respond. No, we didn't have to say, and no, we didn't have to give in. We could say no. We could say not ever. We, we, we could say, I'm not doing it. You and I, as it relates to the people that God allows to come into our lives, we're able to do what is right. No matter what, no matter the excuse we may want to use. Sometimes he allows circumstances to come into our lives that we have no control over. And we've got to ask ourselves, what am I going to do? Will I do what is right or will I do what my flesh wants to do? Will I do what is right or will I do what is convenient? Listen now, will I do what is convenient for me? 
A circumstance here, a circumstance here, a situation here, a moment arises here. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what all the, the, the situations could be. But we know what it's like, don't we, to find ourselves in certain situations and there's this temptation to do what is convenient or to compromise or to give in just a little bit. And, and we say, well, you know, I'm just going to do it this once or I'm only going to do it uh, to, to make this person happy, whatever it may be, and, and we justify it. If anyone had a valid reason from a human perspective to compromise what was right so as to get out of a situation or in dealing with people, it was Joseph. But at age 17, Joseph said, no, I'm doing what's right. I think if we could look at the life of Joseph as a 17-year-old young man, we'd see in him more conviction than you get from most 37, 47, 57, and 67-year-old men. Because Joseph was not going to use his circumstances and his situation as an excuse to not do right. I think sometimes we look at the moral culture and the moral tone of our society. Something that is certainly out of our control, is it not? Trust me, if we could dictate a different moral culture and a different moral tone in our society, we would do it, wouldn't we? But, but we have no say in this. I mean, this is beyond our control. This is bigger than us. It is bigger than any church, and it is bigger than any denomination. I mean, the, the, the nation that we live in is on a fast track, unfortunately, to hell. And that's a pressure on us that is very real and is very present on a daily basis. The world is constantly saying, oh, come on. The world is constantly saying, yes, you can. The world is constantly saying, you don't have to. The world is constantly trying to get us to do the very things we know that we're not supposed to do. And if we're not careful, we can begin to use the circumstances of our culture and the, and the moral climate of the people around us as a justification for not doing the things we know we're supposed to do. And again, I want to say it one more time. Here is Joseph, 17 years old, many things out of his control, many things that he could not dictate or determine. And he said, you know what? I'm not doing it. I will do what is right. It doesn't matter who God has brought into my life. It doesn't matter what circumstances or situations God may bring into my life. It doesn't matter the culture that I'm a part of. It does not matter what is happening in my life, whether I can control it or not. Here is what I can control, and that is my response and my actions. So the question for me is, what will I do in those moments? Will I have some conviction and do what is right, or am I going to wilt under the pressure and do what's convenient? And this evening, whether you want to admit this or not, I don't care what age we're at, what stage we're at, it doesn't matter where you and I are at in life. Every one of us are going to be challenged by this at different moments and at different times in our lives. We're going to have to answer the same question. What am I going to do? 
Am I going to have some conviction about me and do what is right regardless of the consequence? Am I going to do what is right even though if it means they're just going to hate me that much worse? What am I going to do in the midst of this pressure, in the midst of this circumstance that I have no control over? Will I do what is right? I've learned this, and I know this to be true. It is easy to say we'll do right when there's no pressure. It is easy for us to sit here tonight and say, oh, yeah, I'll do fine. I'll do good. You bet. I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to be obedient to him. Okay, that sounds good. But I can promise you a lot of people start whistling a different tune when the outside influences come and when the pressures begin to come and the circumstances begin to, to put pressure. And so I want us to, if we leave here with nothing else in our mind tonight, I want us to leave here with this thought and with this truth. I can do what's right if I want. Whenever I go home tonight, whatever the circumstance may be, I can do what's right. And whenever I get up in the morning and I begin a new day, whatever comes at me tomorrow, I can do what is right if that's a priority of mine. It doesn't matter what happened here, what happened here, or what happened there, or whatever it may be. If I want to do what's right, and if you want to do what's right, you and I can do it. We just got to want to. So let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you'd help us this evening. I certainly don't want to re-preach the message right now, but I do pray that you'd help us tonight to have this truth reinforced in our hearts and minds as we leave that we can do right, that we don't have to give in no matter what the pressure, no matter what the circumstance or the situation. And so, Lord, would you help us this evening if there are some who have been struggling, if there are some who have been giving in to the different pressures that we wouldn't even begin to know about. But, Lord, maybe some are struggling right now with compromising or they're struggling right now with, with just kind of cracking under the pressure. Lord, would you help us tonight to be reminded we can do what is right. Certainly we need your help. Certainly we need your strength, but we can do it if we want. And again, for those who may be struggling right now, I pray that you'd give them the strength they need to walk in obedience. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you need to pray, please do.